Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. We're in the book of Philemon. Philemon verse 21 is where we find ourselves today. Paul has largely made his point about gospel-driven relationships by now. He's already asked Philemon to receive Onesimus, to welcome him into his home and into the church family. And yet, I believe in the closing of Paul's letter that we will consider today that we can learn just a little bit more about what Paul wants us to know about relationships in the gospel. Relationships that are based on the fellowship that we have through the blood of Jesus who makes us His and therefore makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. So would you hear with me, beginning in verse 21, the word of the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare for me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Would you pray with me? God, we pray that as you have spoken through your word to our hearts in these last four weeks, that you would continue to do so today. God, that we would encounter Christ in the the hearing and the preaching of the word, that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would bring uh, conviction where that is needed, encouragement where that is needed, comfort where that is needed. God, that you would do a work in our lives through the, the hearing of your word today. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. As Paul closes his letter, this, the importance of gospel-driven relationships is still on display in What we learn in in these verses, 21 through 25, is is that to welcome brothers and sisters in Christ, to welcome new people as brothers and sisters in Christ, particularly those that we might be skeptical of. They've, They've come from a different background, or maybe we've been trained on whatever news outlet we like to watch the most to to have just a a skepticism toward others. Or maybe it's somebody who's hurt us in our past. Maybe it's a family member who's hurt us, but now they've come to saving faith in Christ. We are are learning how it is that we process through that as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we, we see three more points in this closing about how it is that we pursue reconciliation with brothers and sisters in Christ. And the the first thing that we see is that we must love beyond the minimum. We must love beyond the minimum. You know, I I was writing this sermon earlier in the week, and I wrote down, we must understand that love goes beyond the minimum requirements. And then I thought, well, that's not quite right. It's it's good to understand that, but, but if we just understand it and we never act it out, then it's kind of pointless, right? What Paul is calling us to do is to love beyond the minimum. Aren't you glad that Jesus loved you beyond the minimum? That he left the glory of heaven to ransom you and to make you his own. And we are called to extend that same selfless, radical, self-giving love of God toward others, particularly others in the family of God. 
But before we love beyond the minimum, the first thing we need to do is to at least do the minimum, right? So we see in verse 14, what does Paul say to Philemon? He says, having confidence in your obedience. The, the way in which the word having confidence is written is it's, it's a settled issue. Paul believes firmly that Philemon's faith is, is genuine, and therefore Philemon is going to hear and agree with Paul's gospel-driven arguments and live them out. Here's what Paul is saying. Authentic faith leads to applied theology. If you really believe in Jesus, you're going to hear the gospel and live it out in your life. Now, we live in a culture today where people say, I checked a box, I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer, but what Jesus has to say about my life right now, I'm not too interested in that. And here's what Paul is saying. He has confidence in Philemon because he believes that he's a believer, and now he believes that Paul's laid out a great argument based on the gospel, and he, he has confidence that Philemon's going to do what the gospel would compel him to do. i got to tell you, as a pastor, nothing grieves my heart more than when someone who's been going to church for 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, and then they walk out on their marriage, or they do something crazy, and clearly the gospel says this is wrong, and they say, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do and ask God to forgive me every night. What in the world is going on with Christianity in our country that would believe that we can have Jesus crucified for us, the gospel given to us, and then we can essentially say, I've been saved by the gospel, but I'm going to ignore the gospel. Those two things don't go together. Authentic faith leads to applied theology. People who say, I know Jesus, but I don't care too much about what the Bible would say in this situation, that's a warning sign, church. Because loving Jesus means keeping His commandments, and that includes the application of His gospel to our personal lives and to our relationships. Paul's use of the word obedience in verse 21 is noteworthy, right? Because in verses 8 and 9, what did Paul say? He said, I don't want to order you. I don't want to command you. I don't want to use my authority as an apostle. But then in verses 17, 18, and 20, he gives three commands. So I don't want to command you, but I'm going to command you. What in the world is Paul doing? Is he commanding Philemon or is he not commanding Philemon? And the answer is a little bit yes and no. He's commanding him, but not because they're the commands of man, but because they are the demands of the gospel. They are the demands of love. Here's what Paul is saying. Look, I'm just a, mouse, a mouthpiece. God is just using me to tell you that this is the implications of love and the gospel in your life in this situation. So don't point the fingers at me and blame me. If you've got a problem with it, look to God. Because this is what love will do in your situation. Love comes with demands to be obeyed. Doug Moo explains it like this. The fellowship that's created by faith that we saw back in verse 6 carries with it obligations to believe in Christ is to come under His law, the law of love. Paul believes Philemon's going to obey the demands of love, demands to put the gospel on display in his relationships. The word obey here means attentive action and a heartfelt response that is consistent with what is implied by his new relationship with Onesimus. Parents, don't you want that from your children? That kind of obedience? Attentive action. Not clean your room and I'll get to it 17 days later. Obedience, the meaning of obedience here is attentive action and a heartfelt response that is consistent with what is implied by his new relationship with Onesimus who is now a believer 
in Christ. This is what we owe to one another. Attentive action and a heartfelt response consistent by the relationship that we share with one another through the blood of Jesus. As we keep reading in verse 21, we learn Paul is confident of more than just Philemon's sort of bare minimum obedience. He understands that Philemon's going to do more than just check every box in their relationship and say, well, I checked all the boxes, so now you do for me what you owe me. You check your boxes. This is not a box-checking relationship. He says, look, I know you're going to do even more than what I say. Now, what in the world could that possibly mean? Onesimus has defrauded him. He's trusted Christ. He's come back, and he says, welcome him like a brother Forgive his sin. Bring him into the family of faith. What in the world else could Philemon do? Some believe what Paul is asking is to send Onesimus back to him as his helper while he's in prison. But that doesn't seem to make much sense because in the next verse Paul says, Look, I'm hoping to get out of prison and to come visit you. So what is Paul saying? Many scholars believe the only thing that that Philemon could do in this situation beyond what he's already been asked to do is to go ahead and set Onesimus free. Now, Onesimus was an indentured servant. He would have been freed at some point, but it, it seems that what Paul is saying in his, to Philemon is, just go ahead and set him free right now. It's kind of like what Jesus did for us, right? He didn't just forgive our sins. He gave us His Holy Spirit to give us the power and the freedom to pursue the will of God in our life. This aligns very well with what we read back in verse 16 when he told Philemon to have Onesimus back as more than a slave, not just in the Lord, not just in the spiritual realm, but also in the flesh. In the first few centuries, many believers, perhaps even most believers, were indentured servants. Did you know that Christians didn't have clout in the first three centuries of the church? There was, no, there was no such thing as an evangelical voting block to be evaluated. Well, how many votes did the Caesar get from the evangelicals in the last election? Nobody was assessing that. Nobody cared about Christians. Christians had no voice. They had no say. There was no way for Paul or other Christians to walk around and say to other non-Christian slave masters, you need to free your Christian slaves. There's no way to do that. But for the family of faith, it seems to be exactly what Paul is suggesting. If you're a Christian slave master, and your slave has become your brother, set him free. Philemon, pour your life into Onesimus like a brother. Release him to be fully deployed for the glory of King Jesus. And I believe that's exactly what Philemon did. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't have titled the book Philemon. But Paul writes a letter and the church inherits it and they give it the title Philemon. And and then we wonder, well, what in the world happened to Onesimus? We can't be sure, but I find it very interesting that a a Christian pastor writing around 100 A.D., this book, this little letter was written around 60 A.D., a Christian pastor writing around 100 A.D. references a man named Onesimus who is the bishop or the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is not far away from Colossae. Ephesus is where Paul spent three years preaching the gospel. Some that he shared the gospel with went down to Colossae, started a church. And so here's what I believe happens. Onesimus, a young runaway slave, 
flees from his master. He encounters Paul. Paul shares the gospel with him. He goes back to Philemon. Philemon welcomes him as a brother. He sets him free, pours his life into him. He sees Onesimus rising up in the church, emerging as a leader who's full of the gospel. He was tutored by the apostle Paul anyway, and he's doing a small group there in the home, and man, this guy is good, and they need some help up at Ephesus, and the next thing you know, a young runaway bondservant becomes a brother in Christ. And the next thing that you hear, he is a bishop at the church at Ephesus. Oh, the marvelous things that God can do when we put aside our hurt and our past and our bitterness and our skepticism and our pain and we love other people like Jesus. Paul knows Philemon's going to do more than the minimum because he's been captivated and rescued and is compelled by the love of God toward him through Jesus and through Paul. Church, God is asking us in our marriages and in our families and in our community and with the people that walk in that don't look like us, don't sound like us, God is asking us and he's calling us not to ask, what is the least that I can do for the sake of love? He's urging us in the power of the Holy Spirit to reflect on all we've received in Christ and through His church and say, what more is God calling me to for the sake of love? When we see people far from God at the the restaurant or the mall or walking into this very building for an event or for worship, when we encounter hurt in our relationships, God is asking, how might I work through you to love others extravagantly? Just as Jesus loved us. To be reconciled, we need a love that goes beyond the minimum. Secondly, we must be connected to maturing believers who have influence over our lives. In verses 22 through 24, the focus of Paul's letter shifts from Philemon back to Paul and others who are with Paul. If there's any temptation in Philemon's life that's lingering to to wallow in self-righteousness and self-pity or anger over prior hurts, rather than to love Onesimus, Paul adds a last command. He says, at the same time, or meanwhile, verse 22, in other words, while you're getting ready for Onesimus to show up, also get ready for me to show up. Paul's in prison, but he hopes to be released. And if he is, he'll he'll come to... Philemon's house. This is no doubt a subtle encouragement to Philemon. Paul will be coming soon, at least he hopes, to see personally just what has happened with Onesimus. This is an oh by the way. Does anybody here have a relative in your family that's an oh by the way relative? He's written this whole letter all the way down through verse 21 and it's all about what Philemon needs to do. And in verse 22, oh by the way, I'm just going to slide on by and just make sure that that's what's going on. My, my oh, by the way, relative is my father-in-law. Now, he's, he's had a stroke, and his, his personality is a, a little bit different. But he, he can oh, by the way, you to death. He goes shopping. That, that guy never pays full price for anything, ever. I'm talking about at Belk. In July, when there's no sales, hey, can you do any better than that? Next thing you know, she's knocked 60% off of it. Well, that's, I really appreciate that. By the way, I have a coupon for 75% off. <laughs> I mean, he walks out of stores 
getting paid to take merchandise. This guy's unbelievable. I love him, though. Al, if you're listening, I love you. Oh, by the way. By the way, I'm coming. That's how important your reconciliation with your brother and my son in the faith is. And then he tells us that I hope through your prayers, he shifts from talking just to Philemon to talking to the whole church. I hope through your prayers that I will be given to you. Back in 4 through 7, Paul is praying for Philemon and for the church. And now he knows that, Paul, that Philemon and the church are praying for him. And Paul says, look, I, I'm coming to you. And it's not a threat. It is a gift of grace. In fact, the word given to you is the word, the root word is the word Grace. If God so allows it, Paul's going to be released from prison. He'll visit the church as a gift of God's grace. He wants to see with his own eyes and experience in his own heart the great things that God is going to do as they welcome Onesimus back into the church. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, that people who love you enough to follow up on what God is doing in your life and whether or not you are following through with what you need to do in your relationships are not burdens, they are gifts of God's grace. Then, as if Paul wasn't enough, if, as if the visit of Paul wasn't enough, he mentions five more men. He's already mentioned Timothy, right, back in verse 1. But now he mentions five more men who are sending their greetings to Philemon specifically and who are therefore aware of this situation. The men mentioned in verses 23 and 24 are also mentioned at the end of Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. Did you know leading in a local church, whether you're hosting the church in your home or you're a pastor, being a leader in a local church comes with all sorts of challenges. And one of those challenges is knowing who to turn to when you go from being the one equipping and encouraging to being the one who needs some counsel and some encouragement. It's a key reason why God designed local churches to be led by a team of pastors who are encouraging and supporting and challenging and shaping and sharpening one another, leading out together in what God is doing in their lives and leading them in terms of the direction of the church. It's also why I personally stay in touch with trusted friends and pastors and professors and mentors who pray for and encourage and challenge me in my personal life. Paul, Paul's not shooting from the hip here. He's not just making up an argument. It's an argument that these other men are vested in, which suggests there's a broad consensus about what Philemon needs to do, not just in Paul's heart, but in the hearts of several Christian brothers that Philemon would have recognized their names and been like, all right, this is what I need to do. Well, who are these men? First, we read the name Epaphras. Epaphras is the one that heard the gospel in Ephesus and went down to Colossae and took the gospel there, and then came back to Paul and said, look, we've got a church in Colossae. Here he's called a fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. In the closing of Colossians, he's not called a fellow prisoner. So something's happened. Either he's voluntarily imprisoned himself to help Paul out, or, or maybe he's been persecuted like Paul for the sake of the gospel. Then Paul mentions Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, all as fellow workers in the gospel, co-laborers in the gospel. Mark is John Mark. You remember John Mark, right? He's the, the believer at the first church of Jerusalem who goes on the first missionary journey with Paul, but he 
quits before the trip is over. And when it's time to go on the second missionary journey, Paul says no thanks on taking Mark with him. He, there was a, a lack of trust there. But what has happened is the trust has been healed and a reconciliation has happened. And now Paul is with Mark and they are together again in the gospel. Paul is writing about a reconciliation that he knows very well about because he's already been reconciled with Mark. Then we read of Aristarchus. Paul calls him a, a fellow prisoner at the end of Colossians, but here he's called a fellow worker. So perhaps Aristarchus and Epaphras are trading places, being imprisoned with Paul to help him out. We, we don't know for sure, but what we do know is that in the book of Acts, he is mentioned in association with Paul's ministry in Ephesus in chapter 9, verse 29. And he's mentioned as a companion of Paul on his journey to Rome. And then we get to the name Demas, but I want to hold his name back for just a moment and, and move to Luke. You know who Luke is. Luke's the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He's called the doctor in Colossians 4.14. When he writes the book of Acts, he uses the pronoun we a lot, indicating that he was often with Paul. We did this, we did that. We conclude from what are called the we passages in Acts that he was with Paul in his ministry in Macedonia. He was with Paul on his trip back to Palestine after the third missionary journey. He was with Paul on the shipwreck voyage to Rome and when Paul writes 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, he says this, Only Luke is with me. Luke went to distance with Paul. But at this point in Paul's ministry, he's surrounded by men who are encouraging him, even in his imprisonment. He's got a whole bunch of Christian men with him and supporting him and what he writes to Philemon has their endorsement as co-laborers in the gospel. So as, as Philemon hears this list, it should serve to bring added confirmation to what should already be clear. If you've ever had confusion about what's something you should do and somebody came to you and said, well, your mom thinks this is what you should do, your dad thinks this is what you should do, your sister, your brother... Your, your employer, everybody you respect in life thinks this is what you should do, then what are you going to conclude? This is probably what I should do. That's what Paul is doing here. Proverbs says there's safety in a multitude of counselors. That is particularly true when all the counselors are known quantities with a demonstrated passion for Jesus and the progress of the gospel in obedience to his word and its implications. There's safety in a multitude of counselors if you pick good counselors. The tragedy in Christianity in the United States today is that most Christians don't live in close enough communication and proximity and relationship with other Christians to actually have this in their lives. They check a box on Sunday, check out on Monday through Saturday. The reality is, whether you're a pastor or a painter or a plumber or a pediatrician or just a plain tired preschool mom, we all need meaningful connections to help us process the totality of our lives through gospel lenses. Being a Christian should impact every aspect of your life, not just what you do on Sunday. Being a Christian impacts what we value. It impacts what we watch. 
It impacts who and what we listen to and what we read and how and why and when we play. It impacts our determination and our commitment in our marriages and our families. It impacts what we pray for our children, what we teach our children, what we refuse to allow to be taught to our children. It impacts what we expect from our children. It impacts how we forgive and move forward in the gospel and so much more every single aspect of the life of a true Christian falls at the feet of Jesus. Being connected to mature Christians who have permission to speak into our lives is not an option. It is vital. It is a part of how God has designed us to endure in the faith and follow Jesus as Lord. And yet, let me just insert there, as we emerge from COVID, we, we have Sunday school here at North Roanoke. We, we've transitioned to calling them 3D groups. We want to be devoted to God's Word, dedicated to one another, and driven to make disciples of all nations. We, we want to have an intentionality with our Sunday school classes. We don't want to just show up and, and get the Bible, but not have relationships and intentionality and encouragement and admonishment to get out there and make a difference for the glory of God. And we want to have people speaking into our lives. So we want to sort of rethink why we do Sunday school. It's not just to have friends that we always know. Always know. It's also for outreaching and accountability. But we recognize that Sunday school, the, the Sunday school model, quite frankly, it's better for teaching than it is for relationships. Relationships in a in a what is like a school classroom once a week for 45 minutes to an hour, only goes so far. And so what we're hoping to do when we, we get out of this COVID mess is, is to supplement Sunday school with some sort of home groups where we're encouraging people to spend time, not only in the Word, but in prayer and talking about real relational issues and applying the gospel to one another's life so that we can obey the gospel as it applies to our individual situation. Relationships with others are vital to our walk with Christ, but they don't guarantee that we actually have a relationship with Him. In the middle of this team of encouragers, we see Demas. And Demas is a sad story. I've already told you about 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul says, only Luke is with me, but he writes something else there. He says, Demas having loved this present world, has deserted me. In Demas, we see that those who love the world end up abandoning gospel relationships. We know that the reverse is also true. Those who avoid intentional gospel relationships often end up loving the world. Those who come to church on occasion, perhaps even regularly, but never engage with mature Christians are leaving wide open a door of temptation to neglect Jesus and in turn pursue the world. Left to himself, Philemon might have been able to rationalize a wrong response to justify his pain, but you don't know my situation, but Paul didn't leave Philemon alone. He pressed into Philemon. And when we were pressed in our relationships by what is comfortable, isolation is our enemy. But fraternity and fellowship with other Christians is grace. We need one another pushing us toward 
Jesus. God works through mature and maturing Christians to encourage us to pursue stronger marriages, to forgive hurts, and to welcome strangers as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we might know, experience, and be part of an amazing fellowship of God's growing family as we go the extra mile for one another and for the new people that God will bring for the glory of God. To be reconciled with one another, we've got to love beyond the minimum. We need to have mature Christians who have permission to speak into our lives. And and thirdly, our spirits must be compelled by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In, In verse 25, Paul closes his letter with a prayer for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with your spirit. The your is plural and the spirit is singular. In other words, Paul is saying... Every member of the church has a human spirit, and their human spirit, in order for them to embrace and welcome Onesimus like a brother, their spirits need to be influenced not by pride, not by pain, not by their position, not by the past, but instead by God's grace. For Philemon to welcome Onesimus as a brother and the church to embrace him, they need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Moo writes, Paul has asked for a reconciliation that will prove that the power, excuse me, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a matter of just talk, but of power. Not of our power, but of the power of God to rid us of ourselves as we reflect on the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. When that virus of hurt or bitterness or skepticism infects our lives, the only cure is the grace of God applied to our spirits. Have you lost your interest in reaching out and reaching others for the glory of God? Be reminded this morning of the grace of God. Be compelled in your spirit by His grace. How is it that churches lose sight of the goal of making disciples who make disciples? They are no longer captivated by the grace of God, not in their brains, but on the inside. They might discuss the doctrines of grace, and that is important for them to do. But if all we do is get the doctrines of grace in our head, and they never get us on the inside and inflame our hearts, then we've missed the target. May the grace of God be with your spirit. Churches located in neighborhoods that are changing don't need to leave the neighborhood and keep the name of the street they were on as they move to a better part of town. They need to stay right there and get a fresh burden on the inside for the people who are there right now. Go to a marriage where a spouse is holding a grudge. There's a spirit that needs to be captivated by grace again. Go to a situation where a a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad hurts someone and all they can do is hold on to the pain and there's a spirit that needs to be captivated by grace. So often the gospel leads us to stay when we want to leave. It leads us to pray when we want to complain. It leads us to forgive when we want to fret. It leads us to embrace someone that we would just rather erase from our lives. But Pastor, you you just don't know my situation. I don't. But God does. 
Pastor, you're asking me, what you're asking me to do is impossible. You're right. But with God, all things are possible. N.T. Wright says, Paul has asked of Philemon a superhuman task of heartfelt reconciliation and forgiveness. If he is going to do this, listen to this, without pride or anger, he cannot do it without grace. So church, I have some good news for you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is available this morning. He was broken for your transgressions. He was battered and bruised and beaten to make one family in himself. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is available to anyone who will give up the self-righteousness of hanging on to past hurts to follow instead Jesus who was crucified to welcome you and others into his family. When the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ compels us, how could we remain prideful or angry or bitter? How could we maintain the assumptions, the skepticism, and the stereotypes that would keep us from welcoming new believers to the family of God? When we are compelled by the truth that God sent His Son to die for us, that God the Son became a slave to die the death of a slave, so that we who were slaves to sin could be made alive to live for God, How could we stay stuck in the pride and the pain and the skepticism and not give the benefit of the doubt to the one who is desiring to be reconciled into the family of God and live on mission together with them for the glory of the one who came to save us? There is grace available this morning. Not only grace to save, but grace to sustain you and to give you the power to welcome new people and maybe old people with old hurts, back as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I pray for us as we close Philemon, as Paul prayed, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with our spirit. Amen. Can we pray together? God in heaven, you've been so good to us through this series. You've taught us so much about the, the radical nature of the love of God, how, how deep it goes. God, you've shown us that we're not just commanded to love one another, to forgive one another, to confess our sins to one another in some abstract way. You've shown us in a, in a real life situation what that looks like. And God, I know as I look out in this room and, and to those who are listening online that there are There are marriages and there are families and there are situations that come flooding to our mind, ministry relationships that come flooding to our mind. And I pray, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that if there's something unresolved that needs to be resolved, that you would help us to do our part in that. God, entrusting the rest of it to you. For you alone can heal, you alone can save, you alone can mend. And God, we ask that that you would, where that work is needed this morning, that you would do that work for the glory of Christ, the good of your church, and the the advance of the gospel into hearts, into homes, and lives here in in the Roanoke Valley and, and all around the world. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. 
Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.